this is gonna work. Be a new concept. podcast your official introduction to the circle of jerks podcast this is episode number 11 i'm your host justin parsley lacking the co-host with the co-most josh wooten today so after a week-long absence um not really something i wanted to deal with or wanted to experience this early in the game kind of wanted to stay on top of it and stay on the ball with everything um, life happens, shit happens, there were some situations that couldn't be avoided, and we dealt with it the best way we knew how, and so we took a week-long hiatus from our 20 listeners or what have you. So this week, our schedules are conflicting, and we're having a problem aligning things, um, getting them in sync, I guess, more so. So... I decided to drop down into the studio, a.k.a. basement, and present a podcast, a solo podcast. That's how this thing started, so just made a full circle of jerk. And if you don't want to listen, you don't have to, you know, fuck off. There are plenty of better things to be doing with your life. I'm positive of it. But if you do want to listen, today's episode, tonight's episode, is going to be more of a unique experience I'm not going to sit here and bash people, and I know a lot of you come here just for that, but the the fact of the matter is that um, at heart, um, I'm a writer, and we talked about it a little bit on episodes here and there and discussed it briefly, but I was just, I, I guess I was gifted with some gab, I have a way with words and stringing them together and forming sentences. Not always whenever I'm speaking, but more so whenever I can put pen to paper or my fingers to a keyboard. I tend to excel in that area. And I'm not even necessarily saying that I believe that I do, but I get a lot of positive feedback and that's what keeps me going. And I have an extreme passion for writing, so it, it does come natural to me compared to a lot of other things in life. Writing and drinking. That's what makes a good writer. Isn't it? Bukowski, Hemingway. That's it. <laughs> um, Stephen King, man. He was, he was on some shit there for a while, wasn't he? But I don't dive in that heavy. So I guess today what I want to do is I've been working on this novel. And unfortunately, I haven't gotten very far into the novel there have been a string of complications that have come along the way. Um, I believe I started this 
about this time last year, maybe a little bit earlier, because I think that I was in the process of writing when Leo was born, I think, I don't know, you have to fact check me with, uh, checking with Brooke Hatton on that, because Brooke's one of the first people that I told about this writing venture that I was going to attempt, and there, there's just been, and you can make excuses all day for a lot of shit, but there has been a slew of fucking problems and just complication upon complication and event upon event that have gotten in the way. So the birth of Leo and we spent a week in NICU and you're kind of hesitant for that first month or so after you get home, not knowing, you know, what's, what's going to come of that. Yeah, he was released, but you see news stories of babies passing away and shit unexpectedly all the time. And knowing that your son wasn't able to breathe on his own, kind of checking that crib every chance you can and making sure his face is cleared from any obstructions. So that was like a month or two of dealing with that mentally. Um, work here recently has, hasn't become a problem. It was recently offered a promotion and it's still in the process of being worked out. And there's apparently a lot more kinks to it than what I thought. Because it seemed pretty standard for everyone else who's gone through it, but I guess when when they got you by the tail, they can do whatever the hell they want. So I've been strung along doing that for a little while, and in the process of the interviews, and I think I just said for a little while. That's so Shelbyville of me. But back to the point. What I want to do today on the podcast is so I've been working on this novel. And I want to get it out there and I want to, I want to finish it. I want to accomplish it. It's just writer's block and, and different various situations that pop up along the way. I, I can think of a thousand reasons to not write. And sometimes it's hard to think of a reason to write. I mean, you can think you're good at writing all you want, but that it comes with a lot of insecurities. It comes with a lot of, um, self-doubt that it's easy to get caught up in like no one's gonna read this shit you know what it's gonna sell like fucking 12 copies and I'm gonna give 60 away for free because I made all these promises along the way and I I completely support you know entrepreneurs and small businesses and people that want to get their name out there and make something of themselves and and take the time and the process, the processes that stuff like that can can take and can burden upon people. It's a lot of work. It's it's a shit ton of work. You got to keep chucking. So, I guess what I want to do is just read some some of this novel, or <clears throat> maybe instead of an excerpt, just kind of read what I have and and hope that no one's listening has like a gross words a minute of you know like a thousand so they can't take my work and publish it as their own not saying it's that good but in case it is you know there's that fear I haven't looked into publishing or anything like that or I've I've barely edited along the way it's all been a self-edit so hopefully if I put myself out there in this manner 
maybe I get a little bit of feedback. Um, working on the blog was extremely helpful in getting my brain working at times and focusing on writing. But sometimes it's hard to write about various topics and while trying to maintain telling a story and, you know, it's just, life's a bitch, man. Life can be complicated and you got to do what you got to do to make yourself happy. So I'm doing this podcast because I've enjoyed the podcast. I've enjoyed the feedback that we get during the podcast. I'm enjoying getting our name out there and uh, a few things in the works here and there. And hopefully this takes off, not as a means to make money, but just for popularity, overness. Um, That's kind of the whole thinking behind the process of the podcast. And I guess what I'm going to do now is I'll just, I'll get to it, look up the novel that I've been working on. And you guys can listen, you can tune out, you can drop out already. I mean, I'm not going to give a shit. It's your life. But if you do stick around, know that I do appreciate it. Because this is, um, this is a strange way of putting myself out there. I'm not really into that. Especially with um, something so personable to me. Something that means so much to me. Which is my writing. I feel like the way that an artist sings a song, it, they give you a piece of their soul. So without being cliche or cliche or whatever, I guess this is like a look into my mind or thought process. And, um, and hopefully y'all like it. All right, so I'm just going to go ahead and start off reading. So chapter one is Mother. I was simply a guy who thought a lot about a girl who was different and unique in her own right. Much like women believe that all men are the same, I have come to realize that every female I have ever encountered holds some form of originality when compared to the next. Sometimes it is in a laugh or a curve. Other times it's in an aspiration or the way she walks. Some have bought me jewelry. Others have bought me clothes. Some have given me children I never asked them for. I feel old as fuck quoting lyrics written by Mick Jagger. The man has evolved into a grandmother physically. However, no one can own a stage quite like him. He oozes charisma. Where was I? Fuck. Oh yeah. I'm nowhere near as senior as my taste in music. Besides, my taste in music is as versatile as my taste in women. I'm 27. What a life I've lived so far. As cliche as that sounds, I'm serious. If I die today, I can honestly save. I can honestly say I lived. See, I'm finding my fucking typos right now. Plus, at 27, I would be inducted into a pretty prestigious club some may or may not be familiar with. I have what most have always referred to as an old soul. I'm a hopeless romantic with an unmatched contemplation of what love should be. I'm a selfish man-child on a destructive warpath who will stop at nothing to get whatever he wants. I am my own worst enemy with a knack for overthinking any and every possible situation. I'm a man who desires everything and nothing at the exact same time. My life and ways seem more chaotic and destructive than they actually are. Perhaps that's not as accurate as it sounds. 
Internally, I'm an emotional and mental mess. Externally, into this world I was born like a dog without a bone or an actor on a loan. Less classic rock should be on my to-do list, but I cannot help that this is collectively the most phenomenal music genre ever given to us. The world has known the likes of crazier and more off-the-wall individuals and places than my small-town life in Belfort City, Indiana. On a lighter note, I'm also a guy who would eat Grandma Jagger's cookies, which would be baked specifically for me after the best weekend ever spent at one grandparent's house. Those cookies would either account for the most psychological trip I've ever experienced or assist me in outliving Keith Richards. One of the stones has to possess that secret ingredient. Out of all the things I've loved and tried, my favorite would have to be women. Women have, at one time or another, done literally everything for me. The first woman I ever met filled my life with unconditional love. Believe me, I gave her plenty of conditions to put that to the test. Hell, this woman wiped my smelly ass, fed me, clothed me, made me laugh, chased monsters from the closet of our first home, and provided me with whatever I requested. She let me live with her free of charge and even paid for my education so I could one day be a responsible adult. Eventually, I will get my shit together. Then, in the future, I will buy her a house, fill her refrigerator with groceries, tuck her into bed, and probably even at some point be forced to wipe her stinky old ass. Without my mother, I'd be lost on how to love a woman. She was my first love. Without my father, I may have been better at the emotional aspect of love. Understand, that is not to say he was not a loving man or a much-needed role model. My family was unlike most of the ones I grew up surrounded by. My parents married young, mostly due to the unexpected surprise of my developing inside my mom's womb. That is, a rather, typical, that is rather typical when it comes to my friend's parents. Here's where it gets weird. My parents are still together to this day. To boot, they are just as happy and content as they have ever been. My father was a blue-collar man, still is. He's the type of guy who will work until he's put six feet under. I admire that about him. That's where my drive and work ethic are derived from. The man gave me his last name, and I will always be proud of that. When I'm laid to rest, there my headstone will read, Witty, born into it, used as a second language, and taken with him to parts unknown. Mom always held a job, washed and hung my laundry, kept the house clean, cooked dinner, washed dishes, helped with homework, and conversed with my little brother and I when we needed someone to talk to. That's just a small sample. The list is practically endless. Dad was hardly ever home. There was always a side job that needed finished, a primary job to supply our family with a steady income, or anything else he could do with his hands just to stay busy. Pop's attitude was always intense. His rules were strict. His morals and values were clean-cut and to the point. He was a bold, brash man who carried so much weight and stress on his shoulders over even the measliest of things. There were limited options when it came to performance with him. Everything was his way or the highway. That was his motto growing up, even. His code of conduct consisted of only one end result, success. Failure was not an option. I always thought he could afford to be more lenient with all of us, especially my brother and I. We didn't choose to be a part of this world. On two different horny occasions, he made the adult decision of plowing our mom and forced us to enter the universe. Since I didn't have a say-so in my own existence, I was bound and determined to make the most of said existence. So there it is. The person I am, I am thanks to my unique upbringing, presented before your very eyes. All of this is what started my path down my self-diagnosed 
ways of becoming the sociopath I am today. My old man's stubborn ways and intolerance for society mixed with my mother's extroverted personality, including, but not limited to, her charm and ability to having never met a stranger. The ingredients were all in the mixing bowl. I turned the blender onto the highest speed setting and clicked start to begin a whirlwind of one hell of a life. Going back, I really, I fucking love this chapter. But I think I need to put more focus on my mom. The character's mom. Not my mom. But, um, I think that that's one thing that will help reiterate that chapter being called Mother. Because I kind of go on and on about our main character's dad. And that's, it's not what this book is about by any means whatsoever. Alright, so, chapter two is entitled Emma. Until my daughter was born, I had never known any woman's love to be similar to that of my mother. It has been parallel in many ways, but it is also far more amplified in my mind. After being burned countless times and professing love to various women who had come along, how could I be certain this was real? I, in I had invested so much time and emotions on women who now meant nothing. I cannot let down this beautiful baby girl whose dependency and first impression of men relied solely on me. I did not have much to show for the life I had been living. She was my first real shot at putting a stamp on my legacy. There was no paper printed with my name typed along the top reading college diploma. The only trade I had ever learned was through baseball cards as a kid and a few different fantasy football teams. My hobbies were even lacking. I critiqued film and music from the comfort of my own home, but not typed up within a blog or anything. I was basically a troll for the entertainment industry and enjoyed riling up my peers with my opinions. I followed pro wrestling since the day I spoke my first word. Seriously. My first word was Hulk. This was not the steroid version of the Jolly Green Giant either. My Hulk was orange tan, balding, and kept evildoers down with an atomic leg drop. My greatest hobby was probably gaming. Yet I wasn't even extremely assertive when it came down to it. I just remember always owning every system from NES to my current Xbox One. I enjoyed writing when I was writing about things I wanted to write about. I always hated in school how the teacher would assign us a creative writing assignment and then turn around and choose the topic for us. This was never a serious hobby. I've been labeled with possessing the gift of gab. However, to me, it is just a bunch of loosely based words rearranged together to form a couple of sentences. I had nothing to show for all of my accomplishments and aspirations in life. There were no trophies, no plaques, no ribbons, no checks written to me proclaiming my greatness. Then the doctor placed that screaming, frightened, warm, gorgeous baby girl into my arms and none of that mattered anymore. The birth certificate and love in her eyes were enough to show and prove that she was my greatest life achievement. She was my life goal and every hope and dream I could have ever imagined. There was a piece of me within my grasp being held by me externally. It was the most transcending moment of my existence. It was better than a high by any drug I had consumed before. It was every ounce of my heart and soul wrapped into another being. She was my soulmate, my life's greatest feat. I also knew, in an instant, she was the one girl I would do anything and everything within my power to avoid disappointing. Life was never the same after her either. I smoked less, I drank less, I sang more, I danced more, I slept lighter, I breathed deeper, I loved stronger, I ate more, I cried more, 
I worked more hours within that first year than I probably had in my previous five combined. Emma repaid me with the showers of vomit, crying and screaming, the most shrill noise I had ever encountered, diapers so rancid the dog was turned off, and the most important memory within that first year together. Her first spoken word, Dada. She gave days more meaning and purpose. Suddenly my existence wasn't accidental, wasn't an accidental pointless prom after-party mishap. I was alive and here to love and cater to my perfect, most of the time, angelic baby girl. Little girls, much like their larger counterparts, have their ways of controlling the men in their lives. While their love is more pure and their intentions better, they know how to utilize a tear, thought, and word unlike no other in order to receive whatever it is they desire. Emma wasn't any different. She was my strength and my weakness all at once. Every scratch and cut, big or small, made me now worry for her safety more than I had ever cared for my own. Every bended knee at the side of her bed thanking God and asking for guidance melted my iced heart little by little. Every laugh, all seven of them, depicted her true feelings towards the way she felt towards the topic at hand. I knew every one of them better than I knew anything at all about myself. Since her birth, she has always been the first thing on my mind when I wake up, that is including the fresh brewed pot of coffee that catches my nose immediately after the piercing first ring of the alarm set on my phone. She's the last thing on my mind when I close my eyes for a little rest. It will be this way until the day that I die. Women. Alright, so... I think I'm thoroughly pleased with the second chapter and how it came together and how it came to be. Yeah, I think that that's what we have there is some magic happening. So we're going to move on to the, the third chapter. <clears throat> I, I would say if you have virgin ears, you're probably going to pull your earbuds out if you've made it this far sitting through this reading. Um, and if not, and you think you can handle when things get a little explicit at times, then continue onward with me as your guide. Chapter 3, Jamie and Stephanie. As I sit here trying to reference my footsteps in regards to all of the women I've loved, it occurs to me not a single recollection of my 27 years spent on earth can I create a memory where a woman was not the main focal point. This dates back as far as the early years of my reading, writing, and arithmetic. This infatuation and admiration for the female human species started with my mom, continued with my aunts and grandmothers, and really took off upon entering kindergarten. With both my mom and dad working over 40 hours a week apiece, there was a long list of babysitters assisting my parents and assuring my brother and I had a decent, healthy upbringing. Yes, time away from both of them was hard at times, but we found comfort in the new friends we made through being babysat by these various women. Mary was one of the first I recall. She was a friend of my mother, perhaps from high school or maybe even a previous job. The details of her acquaintance are nearly irrelevant. With the exception of one minor detail, her daughter would not be here if not for Mary herself. Jamie Wilson was her name. I remember clearly. I gotta take a real quick swig of water. Becoming parched. I don't want to go hoarse on this podcast.
Ah, better. All right, continuing. Jamie and I were the same age. From Barney to the Power Rangers, we were into the same things. As a magnet is drawn to metal, we were pulled towards one another just the same. I don't know if it was my partial attention given to Melrose Place or Beverly Hills 90210 late at night as my mom would catch up on her taped episodes while I pretended to build with a set of Lincoln Logs, or if the subliminal messages throughout various Disney movies had done me in. The ones that make my jaw drop when I search the content on YouTube on the YouTube app via my iPhone, good teenagers take off your clothes being whispered during a balcony scene in Aladdin, or the word sex written in dust after Simba plops his tired body to the ground. Hell, the Little Mermaid came packed with double subliminal images, the penis drawn within the castle on the cover of the movie, and the bishop's raging boner as he is, carry- as he is marrying the prince and Ariel. But whatever the reason it may be, my mind was drawn to the beauty that is women. There's no denying when you're five or six years old, your imagination's possibilities are endless. <clears throat> Excuse me. So after watching many episodes of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, you gather a group of kids together to act out bonus, never-before-seen episodes from the confines of your babysitter's living room, naturally. Well, we did. But the girls do not always want to participate in fake fighting and action, so we're forced to compromise. We learned early in life. Now what game could a girl want to play that provides the same thrills in which a boy gets from the fake fighting and stabbing alongside his buddies? A game called House. Naturally. Now, as a boy, there are limited roles one can portray during a game of house. There's the father, the little brother, sometimes plural to keep all involved parties content, and the family pet. That was usually a dog. The creative juices were flowing. Sometimes the boy acting as the pet would be an oversized hamster or a toddler-sized monkey. That was usually my forte, thinking outside the box. Of course, watching my overbearing father within the first half dozen years of my existence give me a knack for taking control and playing the role of the patriarch. <clears throat> Everything began with the innocence all children came equipped with. Lunches were packed for the kids before sending them off to school. The father would head to work, trying to squeak by, making an honest living out of whatever occupation his imagination could conjure. The mother would stay at home, keep the house in tip-top shape until her family arrived home in the evening, which was 10 to 15 minutes or so which for a six-year-old's attention span is a lifetime. But this edition of House was entirely different. We were taken to school, our actual kindergarten, where we were taught the basic general education offered at every other kindergarten. In the early afternoon, the group of babysat children all returned to Miss Mary's home for lunch, a nap, and our afternoon lineup of television programming. After the episode of Rugrats rolled the credits, we were dismissed from rotting our minds, staring blankly towards the bright lights of the tube. We all congregated within the precinct of the playroom and chose our roles for our brand new version of House. Hugh Lowry was an unknown, and my choice of being a doctor within my fatherly role was purely coincidental. After the game of House concluded, due to everyone's actual parents arriving from their real jobs to pick up their offspring, we dispersed one by one. Jamie had relinquished her role as the mother this day, which was a surprise in and of itself since the babysitter's kid was always allotted first choice. Today she played the world's largest bunny rabbit. Stephanie Mantle was on deck to play mom. Stephanie's mother and mine were best friends from high school, and when they arrived at the same time, their catching up felt like it lasted in eternity. 
As they stood in the driveway reminiscing about their golden years as high school babes, Stephanie and I began an innocent game of tag. You're it, I screamed as I poked her in the back and took off in the opposite direction on foot. She chased me the best she could, but at six years old, my body had no introduction with fatigue. I had hit on the side of Mary's massive home waiting for Stephanie to approach that corner on a wider turn where I would take off towards our mothers and shyly use mine as a base. Her turn was sharper and I had anticipated than I had anticipated and my stomach was slapped by her open hand. You're it, she hollered at me and took off running towards the large pine tree planted in the front yard. I juked, I juked her to the left and caused her absolute confusion when I met her in the opposite direction with arms wide open. I wrapped my petite arms around her and playfully took her to the ground. It was almost like a football tackle meets a pillow fight as gentle as I was in my actions. We went down simultaneously, laughing hysterically all the way to the ground. We stood and regained our composure, brushing the dirt and loose grass from our clothing. I guess I'm it, she stated softly. My mind began racing with the most inappropriate visions ever by a six-year-old. I glanced over my shoulder, double-checking our hidden spot from the views of our mothers. I placed my hands on hers and pulled her close to me. I could feel a mischievous smirk stretch across my face. You've always been it, I whispered to her, leaning into my first kiss. Our first kiss. James William Whitty, let's go. Now, my mother called from the, from out of, from the out of sight driveway. I released Stephanie's hands from my grasp and ran off towards my mother's 91 Mercury Sable. I climbed into the back seat and was strapped in safely before taking off towards our house for dinner, homework, a video game, and bed. I knew damn well she would remember that moment for the rest of her life and that it was one worth burning into my own memory until Alzheimer's impolitely strips it strips me of it. The next day presented me with the same monotonous schedule while anticipating the afternoon activities of a new game of house. There was no way I would ever relinquish my role as the father now. This was my first run in with how fast rumors and events could travel within a short time span. Rugrats ended and all of the other boys concerned or cornered me on the allegations they had heard. Did you kiss Stephanie? Joshua asked me without a moment of hesitation. I'm certain the look on my face was a dead giveaway. Was it good? Matthew butted in, not giving me a chance to answer. How do I even begin to answer this one? What is good? What is bad? It was my it was a kiss, my first to boot. Do you have cooties? I heard all girls have cooties, Jeremy followed up. Now in case your mind is not able to recollect how serious the cootie epidemic was, let me give you a refresher course. It was the AIDS of elementary age children. One infection and you were a goner. Although I didn't feel ill, so I doubted cooties to be the case. I didn't feel different at all, so now I was doubting cooties' existence completely. Well, I can't say that I didn't feel different at all. I felt like a god amongst boys. I was the Michael Jordan of kissing girls, and this was my personal post-kiss press conference. Even if I didn't call dibs on playing dad, I would have easily been nominated by these newfound followers of mine. Jamie was my wife this time. Our kids all played and mingled while Stephanie shyly kept her distance the best she could. When we interacted, all the boys and girls would snicker and whisper amongst themselves. Just as we finished talking, I had an epiphany. Countless times I had known my mom and dad to share bathroom time, and from a handful of times, walking in because my bladder was the size of a pea, I had encountered their mutual showers. Jamie and I could shower together. Jamie and I would shower together. It was settled. 
We just needed a much more private setting than amongst the rest of the brood. Do you guys have a bathroom? I asked Jamie. Yeah, but it's in the basement, she responded. The house was tri-level, so there was nothing intimidating about the basement, minus the fact that it was off-limits from anyone whose parents paid Mary for her eight-hour guardianship. Jamie and I escaped the presence of the crowd and quietly made our way down both flights of stairs. There, Jamie's two older brothers' bedrooms existed. We made our way to a corner of one of the rooms and along the layer of wood, along the layer of a wood-paneled wall, a door was placed. Jamie opened the door and invited me into the secluded bathroom. She flipped on the light and I twisted the lock as I shut the door behind us. We should take a shower, I stated, probably much too quickly. Okay, I'll get a towel then and I'll take one after you dry off, she replied. That almost went just as I'd planned. No, I mean together, I insisted further. <clears throat> oh, I don't know, she hesitantly proclaimed. Not a real shower, I exclaimed, trying my best to sound mortified. We have to leave our clothes on in case your mom comes in, I said reluctantly. Oh, okay, she cheerfully re retorted as reassurance came over her face. She reached under the sink into the cabinet and pulled out two rags and two towels. I opened the standing shower's transparent door and stepped inside, <clears throat> holding the door open for her to follow. I acted out, turning on the water, and she pretended to later sh lather her hair with shampoo. I leaned towards her face and gave her a peck on the cheek. She smiled. I followed with a lip lock for the ages. All six of them. It was in this moment... Everything I had seen, thanks to Hollywood, would allow me to succeed or cause me to fail. We, being, we began kissing like every soap opera star I had witnessed on my television set. I mimicked every move I had witnessed growing up, exposed to an assorted variety of feature films. Every motion, from the heavy breathing to the passionate back rub to the kissing on her top lip while she practically sucked away on my bottom lip. My first makeout session was in progress. Still, I had no idea what the fuck I was doing. But I knew I could make it go further. A loud thud interrupted our intense lip lock. Shit. It was her mom. We scurried about, being as quiet as possible while exiting the shower. We wiped our mouths and prepared for the worst. Jamie unlocked the door and pulled it open. Jamie Marie, Miss Mary shouted. Jamie stood there for fear. Stood there. Fear cover her entire face now. You had me worried sick. Get your butt upstairs, Mary continued. She shut off the light and Jamie exited the bathroom. I followed Sue. The horrified look of shock upon Miss Mary's face caused me to lose a tad of bladder control. I had literally just wet my pants a little. A trickle, you might say. Mary Wilson scared the piss out of me. Unbeknownst to me, Mary did not know I was the prize hiding behind door number two. Our eyes met for a second before I brought my gaze down to the blue carpet below. My dick sat in a puddle of its own urine. I prepared my ears and brain for the worst when her mom started to speak. You cannot play down here, and no more co-ed bathroom breaks. Boys and girls must use restrooms separately. And upstairs, from now on, I let out a subtle sigh of relief. I had tasted blood, and I wanted more. On the ride home that day, my mom scorned me countless times as to why boys and girls had to use the bathroom individually. I do not remember much of her lecture, but I did take away a keynote. Boys and girls are just different. They're parts. They're not the same, Jack, she said with a firm voice. What does she mean, not the same? How different could they be? 
Was it like my collection of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles figurines? And what I, and what I did not own, my next door neighbor and best friend Tommy Wise did possess. And when we got together for what our moms labeled as playdates, allowed us to gain access to every Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle action figure known to man. Those playdates, by the way, were actually our moms getting together for a few glasses of cheap wine, watching reruns of daytime programming, and discussing our father's flaws together while Tommy and I created our own TV series out of the turtles and wrestlers while decked out in matching Batman shirts or pajamas. However, if different parts equated to two halves making a whole, then I couldn't stop until I obtained my second half. To know women where the key to the missing half made my thirst for discovery that much more unbearable. Women needed me. It's science. So, like a great scientist should, I began experimentations and creating theories based on said experiences. I was going to conquer women. Along the way, I would practically guarantee myself the knowledge and power to the secret meaning of life. Wrong. But I knew no better, so my conquest began. The next week must have been spring break for elementary or junior high students. I can't, rec- I can't recall the gap, the age gap that, <laughs> wow. I can't recall the age gap between Jamie's older brothers and the majority of the group who was babysat by Miss Mary. I just remember we were required to go on a week-long hiatus from ever, every Nickelodeon show we watched regularly after our daily morning kindergarten attendance. Jamie's brothers were into this show called Saved by the Bell. The show made no difference to me. I would watch whatever at this age. For example, by the time I was three, my grandfather had already introduced me to a few dozen horror movies, and I was completely captivated by any of the flicks that starred Michael Myers as their main antagonist. When I was four or five, I accidentally walked into my parents watching Reservoir Dogs. I remember the fascination I had with the dialogue. All the blood, guts, and shooting were an added bonus. Saved by the Bell enthralled me entirely for different reasons. It was an ideal representation of growing up and the life of a high school student. I was hooked. <clears throat> Kelly Kapowski was, my, was one of my earliest crushes. Zach Morris was everything six-year-old Jack inspired to be. I mean, Zach had it all. He came from money, he had a real cell phone, was popular while sporting a rebellious attitude, and had the prettiest girls swooning for his attention. His clothing style for its era was on point, and his hair was damn near perfection. Never mind Slater's athletic gift for any and every sport accompanied by his muscles. Being a geeky dweeb like Screech never seemed appealing. Zach Morris could do and say whatever he wanted and get away with it. He didn't even have to try. So the next week, after her brothers had gone back to their normal routines and all of us younger kids got together to play, I suggested we alter our game of house. Instead of hitting the fast-forward button to act as adults with jobs, babies, love, and money at the forefront of our thinking... Why not slow it down a little and play the role of a high school student? While we were at it, why not simply cast ourselves as different characters from Saved by the Bell? I would play the part of Zach Morris, obviously. Jamie, who was taller than Stephanie, could easily portray Jesse, and Stephanie could be my girlfriend, Kelly. The rest of the roles were supporting cast for the improvised script we were about to follow. Together, we acted out the normal scenes the audience sees every week on the broadcast. We mimic high school pupils attending Bayside High School and cause the typical trouble teenagers do. We fast-forwarded quickly to around the time of the last bell. In my best Zach Morris impression, I invited Kelly to my house for some after-school specials on the small screen while we procrastinated our homework. Flashbacks of my mother's words on that late afternoon car ride home hit me like a ton of bricks. Boys and girls are just different. 
They're not the same, her voice repeated in my head. She must have said it a dozen times at least. There was no better time than within the forthcoming minutes to find out just how different they were. But is each girl different from the next? I asked myself. Slater's got football practice, Jamie said, interrupting my train of thought. She was overly talented at staying in character. I almost find it hard to believe that the most acting she encountered beyond her graduation was in San Fernando Valley, with most of her material being uploaded for free to Pornhub. This was my opening. Well, you could come over to my house and hang out with Kelly and me, was the best response I could conjure up. Enthusiastically, she accepted the invite. We all darted off to my makeshift abode. My Zach Morris home consisted of one white door, four pink walls, and bared a striking resemblance to Jamie's real-life bedroom. I don't recall any episodes of Saved by the Bell exploiting Zach's pink comforter with Barbie-printed bedsheets, but the accuracy of the setting of his bedroom no longer mattered. I sat on the edge of the bed as Stephanie pounced and landed near me, immediately focusing her attention on the Game Boy Jamie had left lying there. Jamie slowly closed the door until I latched until it latched shut, followed by her turning the lock. So what do you guys want to do, Jamie asked, as she slowly made her way back towards Stephanie and I on the bed. I stood up and met her halfway with the silent answer of a kiss. Stephanie paused the game and glanced over at us, over her shoulder. She had a slight look of disappointment on her face. Not wanting Stephanie to feel excluded, I grabbed a hold of Jamie's hand and pulled her towards the bed with me. I mounted atop Stephanie and brought my face next to hers, not stopping until our lips had interlocked. By this time, Jamie was seated comfortably next to me while I was sprawled out on top of Stephanie. I brought myself up and made eye contact with Jamie, who had altered the glaring look on her face to one of anticipation. Stephanie sat up, her legs still trapped below my body. I made the slightest motion with my eyes as if, as if to ask the two girls if they were interested in kissing one another. They shared a quick peck on, one, on, another's, on each other's lips. We were out of character entirely, and it was not about to end. Let's take off our clothes, I suggest, without giving the idea much thought. It seemed harmless enough at six years young, plus I had, I had to get down to the bottom of how girls' bodies appeared different than boys. Within seconds and without a fight, I soon discovered just how different we were. What's that? Jamie asked while pointing at my pelvic region. Where's yours? I asked with a look of confusion on my face. Take it out, I demanded, completely spacing my mother's words of wisdom. They didn't budge. Seriously, I requested one last time shyly. It moved, one of the girls shrieked. I shamefully began covering myself. Everything else we shared physically underneath our clothing seemed nearly identical. We all three sported flat chests with tiny pink nipples, and it never occurred to me that adult women varied so greatly compared to young. This is something Jamie would never grow out of, even years later. I noticed older women's breasts, but my infatuation with them, with them did not come until much later in my adolescent years. At this point in life, I had gathered and assumed they stored milk the way soda machines stored Coke at restaurants. The most I knew of tits was that most of the ones I encountered just made it harder to hug the women I loved when greeting them or parting ways. Our buttocks were all the same. Girls did not come equipped with bonus butt cheeks. However, their seemingly front butts, as front butts as I distinctly recall naming it in my youth, was much different than what I used to urinate in every diaper and toilet in my life. So the three of us laid there a little longer, inspecting one another for any other discrepancies we could find. Finally, words were spoken. 
Can I touch it? Stephanie asked. I stammered before eventually agreeing. She grazed it with her index finger, and Jamie giggled at the sight. I stared at her defiantly. My attention was once again towards my wee-wee. When, from out of nowhere, and for no reason known to me at all, Stephanie flicked the tip with her finger. I screamed in agony and cut my entire package with my hands, protecting my member from any more potential harm. What was that for, I asked, about as angry as I'd ever been. Just to see, Stephanie responded, the look of disbelief still on my face. To see what, I shouted. To see if it does anything, she stated calmly. I tried to recover as quickly as possible and eventually released my member back to its exposed state. Jamie was on her back, hand held above her face, and she stared intently into her Game Boy screen. Without any advance notice, I began tracing my finger along the slit that my body was lacking. She shivered and laughed, crossing her legs before saying, Stop it! That tickles! I could not help but wonder what was going on inside that enigmatic slit. Literally, all I had time to do was wonder when the doorbell rang loudly from the other side of the door. The three of us jumped up to our feet and began redressing ourselves to appear more presentable. After an underwear mix-up between the girls, we were all dressed in the clothes we wore prior to entering Jamie's room. The door handle jiggled. I grabbed a highlights magazine from the nightstand and began circling the differences between the two similar images. Stephanie gathered a couple of Barbies, shoved them into an RV, and began reciting original lines for her own little show. Jamie snatched her Game Boy from the comforter and started striking various keys at what seemed randomly. Jamie Marie, her mother screamed from the opposite side of the door. What did I tell you about locked doors, was her mother's next line. Jamie timidly answered the door, fearing her mother's wrath. Behind Mary stood Kimberly Mantle. Kimberly was Stephanie's mom. She looked incredible for her age, too. She bared an uncanny resemblance to Martina McBride, the country singer. Kimberly's eyes met Stephanie's, and they began their routine hug and kiss greetings before Mrs. Mantle asked her daughter about her daily activities. Crap. Mary's gaze was locked on me. I did my best impression of seeming deeply involved in the picture search portion of, the, of this month's highlights. Quickly, I grabbed a nearby pencil and initiated circling images I could find. A slice of pizza, a ball of yarn, a bell, and you, Mary commenced, pointing a finger at me. The loud ding and dong of the doorbell interrupted her scolding speech. Mary exited the room. I spun Jamie around, her face now in front of me. I instigated a kiss. She returned one of her own. I released her and followed Mary into the living room, where she was opening the door. My mother, donning her charming smile, entered the home, and I rushed to her side. She knelt down, and we began our interaction with a tight squeeze and a soft kiss. I could have told her about my first quasi-semi-sorta, kinda, maybe threesome I had been a part of only minutes before her miraculous arrival, but I deemed that not the time or place. That is an ongoing theme with every threesome I have partaken in today. As with every sexual encounter she has not accidentally walked in on, we shared a vital don't-ask-don't-tell policy. I was ecstatic to be in her company and forcefully tried to get her out of the front door with me. She gave in, thanking Mary for another day of her service. My heartbeat began slowing down to its normal pace as I wiped the sweat from my brow. Saved by the bell. And then I think I'm about 47 minutes into this podcast, so I'll probably read... Uh, one more chapter here, and then call that good. It's kind of a long chapter. Okay, so chapter four is Ashley. 
Why does shit seem overly stressful during the time it is happening, but after the situation has passed, we are left feeling relieved that it was not half as bad as we had anticipated? Within 27 years, I had encountered a multitude of life experiences that I should have absorbed a lot longer than I did. Hell, just 5 to 10 years ago alone, I was preaching about living a life with no regrets. I also wore a satchel over my shoulder while proclaiming bell-bottoms as a fashionable statement. That phrase is easily regrettable. Sure, with it came an introduction to the best version of rock and roll my ears had heard. They call it classic for a reason. I dabbled in some drugs I may have not had access to if not for running with the hippie crowd. Still, though, the first black president... (coughs) (coughs) Excuse me. Still, though, the first black president of our country who promised change as I listened with an open heart and mind neglecting my personal needs was the beginning stages of realization that I was no part of an epic movement. I was merely another peon who was willing and capable of holding a job to help feed and clothe the government-funded inferiors within my community. Oh, and I also had the choice of enrolling in a new wave of free health care, which, which if not obtained during the course of the year would ultimately cost me more money when filing taxes. Nevertheless, he received my vote, regretfully. The face that I am sitting behind, the face that I am sitting behind an altar. Uh, the fact that I'm sitting behind an altar, having just wrapped up my wedding rehearsal, realizing this marriage should have occurred years before now is my most current regret. Reminiscing about the life that I have lived, I can easily say I would have done plenty of things different. Should have, would have, and could have are only a few of my arch enemies. What might have been in magic mushrooms are two others. What might have been became a waste of time that constantly drove me out of my mind. Magic mushrooms were the worst, most intense psychedelic trip of my life. Another regretful circumstance came in the shape of a woman. Technically, she was still a young girl at this juncture of our lives. Either way, she will never have any idea what she meant to me. Hell, at nine years old, how much contribution can another person really provide one with? A fair amount, I do say. It began on the first day of third grade. In my mind, she has never got away. When she walked into Mrs. Schludecker's class on the first day, I was captivated. No matter what went on around me, I could not turn my attention elsewhere. I was a helpless moth, and she was the brightest light in the room. For the next three years, she led a blinded boy on a journey like none other. Her long, blonde, curly hair fell just below her shoulders. Her predominant cheekbones held high upon her face made her eyes squint as if the sun shone bright directly in her face. Her nose had a rounded shape almost too large for her childlike features. It was something she would grow into perfectly. Students, class, Mrs. Schludecker exclaimed, trying to gather the attention of the 20-plus kids in attendance. Boys and girls, she hollered, much louder than her two previous attempts at addressing us. She already had my full interest. Not necessarily her, though. The four-foot-tall, beautiful blonde standing waist-level beside her had me drawn in. I was mesmerized. The other children began settling down and quieting almost completely in their seats. Class, this is Ashley Warner. She's our newest student, so please help her in feeling welcomed. Shyly, Ashley attempted to hide her face. I could not even begin to imagine how transferring schools and starting anew must feel. Hi, Ashley, the class monotonously erupted with a unanimous welcome completely uninterrupting my train of thought. Hi, Ashley, I mumbled inaudibly. 
At least I believe it was much quieter than my peers. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Miss Warner? Mrs. Schludecker suggested. Ashley looked up with a bright red face and shook her head feverishly. Well now, don't be shy, Mrs. Schludecker insisted. Just share something simple. For example, where are you from? Ashley swallowed hard as she gathered her bearings. Hi, my name is Ashley, and I'm from... She was cut off by a spitwad smacking her directly in the forehead during her debut speech. She covered her face in humiliation as the tears began streaming. The students grasped in anticipation of who would be so daring as to do such a dastardly action right in front of the teacher. Daryl Stanton, alongside his plain name and cronies, began laughing hysterically. This was, their only, this was only their most recent bullying shenanigan. I was livid, so I leapt from my seat and over to the desk towards the gang of misfits. In my hand, I held a number two pencil with a death grip as I launched at Daryl. I did not let go of the pencil until I lodged it through his cheek, giving his tongue free access to tasting the lead tip whenever it pleads. Blood trickled down his cheek as he looked at me in disbelief, but the amount in which, he, in which it exited his body was nowhere good enough for me. His eyes filled with anger, and the green quickly faded to black. I did not have long to counteract with his forthcoming attack. Without even thinking, I spit in his face. He turned his head to the side to wipe the saliva from his eyes. When he positioned himself in a threatening position, I reacted again without thinking a single thought through. I lifted the oversized English textbooks from his desk and smacked him in the face with all 400 pages, including the hardcover. The shot connected with his nose perfectly, and his blood began pouring. The scene is best painted like so. His nose was so was a big, fat, ugly piñata, and the blood inside was an unlimited supply of candy that would not stop flowing unless you applied pressure to the cardboard and paper mache. And the candy was far from edible, unless the kids were a brood of vampires. The whole debacle would have been a vampire's wet dream. Then I came back to reality. I was still in my seat, my hands still gripping the wooden pencil, daring his ignorant... Daryl and his ignorant cohorts sat laughing maniacally. I despised them and often wondered why they were not attending the class down the hall with the rest of the drooling, mentally handicapped, wheelchair-bound, struggling students. You should have heard this kid read. Rather, his attempt to do so. Ashley wiped her eyes and looked up towards the perpetrator. Displeasure sat on her face. I flagged her with my hand and motioned for her to sit in the empty seat in front of me. She accepted, even as much as flashing me a smirk of relief. She took her seat and slowly turned towards me, formally introducing herself. Nice to meet you. I'm Jack Whitty, I responded, remembering how my father had always taught me to use my first and last name when engaging in initial introductions. For the next three years, we were inseparable. Throughout elementary, our discipline system was quite simple. The teachers, the teachers labeled it as SNPs. It was a fairly easy concept to follow. Each student would begin every week with a full slip of computer paper that had been cut down into about one-fourth of its original size. That slip of paper was then worked into six different sections. The bottom three had S's drawn into the boxed-off area, the middle three contained N's, and the top held a bolded U. Respectively, these letters abbreviation, the letter abbreviation stood for satisfactory, not satisfactory, and unsatisfactory, as far as my memory serves me. I can't even begin explaining what the thought process of how not satisfactory and unsatisfactory differed. 
The idea was easy. For each time a student would misbehave, he or she would grace the front of the classroom in complete humiliation and be forced to snip one of his or her remaining letters. If one reached the end, that kid's parents received a phone call telling mom and dad that they needed to get the kid's ass in gear. But if the letter U stared any kid in the face after snipping his or her last N, it meant a one-way ticket to the principal's office. There again, I'm uncertain why we were offered seven letters for the span of five days. Perhaps the shelf life of a snip slip was bi-weekly, but my memory from 20 years ago is not serving me well at this moment in time. Our elementary school's principal, Mr. Kraft, was not a man any people dared to, dare to try to reason with. It was pointless. The man was massive, around six foot four and 270 pounds. The mustache he sported, which probably had been a means of transportation, or at minimum the equivalent of a roller coaster ride to the majority of the female teaching staff, solidified his masculinity. The word around the school was that he kept a paddle filled with holes hanging from the back of his office door. The holes were to prevent any air from slowing down the swing when he went at a delinquent's derriere as a form of discipline. The other version of the paddle cited the hunk of wood containing toothpicks glued to it, so the punishment stuck with you for the rest of your life, quite literally. I had one goal during my five-year stint at my elementary school. Never find out which version of the paddle existed. For the first four years, I did a stellar job of seeing that five-year plan through. Ashley and I were never actually official. Anyone who claims they were in grade school probably doesn't have a mental capacity to hold a steady job and relies on government funding for their free health care insurance and food stamps. Well, there is that one couple you are picturing in your mind right now. The people who thought high school sweethearts wasn't long enough to hog one another's time. You know that couple with the adorable offspring in their Facebook profile picture, living in that beautiful brick home in the suburbs or just on the outskirts of town, and having the atrocious sexual experience of only having been with one another. The kids are adopted little brats because the wife's sister couldn't get a grip on life and did not know how or when to put the pipe down. The mortgage and property tax on that home annually is half of what you're bringing home. And no, her two part-time jobs and his white-collar gig do not make repaying student loans, credit card debt, or anything else in their lives any more comfortable. And the sex has no chance of improving. She doesn't endure anal. She does not endorse anal. He hates oral. She wants to fuck his brother. He jerks off the thoughts of finger blasting the babysitter. True love has never been more beautiful. Ashley and I did were. Ashley and I were, however, required to attend an introduction to sexual education <clears throat> when the fifth grade finally came around. This lesson was taught within the vicinity of our peers, but the school did require two classes to be divided by genders. What a headache that would be today with the dozens of gender options we allow our children. That in and of itself consists of a really simple solution to fix the gender identity crisis. If you're born with a penis, you're labeled a man. If you came out of the womb with a vagina and grow a set of breasts in your teenage years, you are clearly female. I just solved a worldly problem within the span of two sentences. The bathroom epidemic would basically work the same way. I sound like a political candidate, but I know with all of my scandals... That would be a battle I could positively never win. During the classes, at least in the classroom, of young boys, nothing but snickering and sometimes crass laughter would be heard. We took turns pointing at the various anatomy, making disrupting farting noises, screaming the every synonym for the images of the phalluses that were flashed before our eyes, and all joined in unison at being grossed out when the instructor covered pubic hair. After an hour or two, we were dismissed from Sex Ed 101. 
All of the boys and girls soon mingled to discuss what we had witnessed. There was not a single kid who understood what had been explained, but it couldn't be unseen. Some students were visual learners, but my strong suit was closer to the realm of oral learning. And unbeknownst to me, I would encounter a lot more hands-on training with it all in the next few years. Ashley and I congregated the day after lunch. Day after during lunch? All my mind could think about was what her body would look like after puberty kicked in. She took to my side as I sat on a wood ledge beside the basketball court. My friend Tyler joined me for our daily dose of gambling exchange we had collected through our respective means. Sometimes it was stolen from our parents, other times it was found on the ground throughout the school, and on my end, it even came from a college fund my parents had started for me, stored away safely in an oversized Coke bottle-shaped piggy bank. The three of us took turns discussing our theories about exactly what happens when sexual encounters begin. A teacher by the name of Mrs. Ms. Linklater interrupted our second hand of blackjack, and she asked what we were doing. We're just gambling, like in the movie Tyler offered as an explanation. His lisp was slight, yet easily heard by the untrained ear. You cannot gamble on school property. That's a violation. The next time I catch you doing it, you're going straight to the principal's office, she said sternly. She gathered the loose change and dumped it into a sack where Tyler carried his earnings. She proceeded to confiscate the sack full of change shortly thereafter. What a bitch, Tyler stated as Miss Linklater walked away, a millionaire in our eyes. I told you we should have kept our game hidden under the slide, doofus, I responded. A group of students approached the three of us, asking the details of what just went down. We recounted the events that took place and started brainstorming new ideas on how to cure our recess boredom. Unsurprisingly, I suggested a wrestling match within the confines of our school's space dome climber. We can have a cage match, I recommended. The rest of the students were in agreement. They each took turns choosing their wrestling alter egos. I sat atop the steel structure beside Ashley as I announced every competitor's name. Once we got past every single kid begging to be Stone Cold Steve Austin, each kid was labeled with his second choice. My role was that of Vince McMahon, as my only job was to call the shots. Ashley leaned forward to get a better look at the action. I glanced down at her lower back and saw the top of her pink panties sticking out just barely above her, the waist of her jeans. The match started as the bell sounded. My peers were delivering an assortment of Ric Flair chops, DDTs, flipping the bird at one another, showing their discontent with not being allowed to all partake in the event as Stone Cold. One of the kid names William, our light-skinned undertaker, grabbed the back of another kid's head. That kid was named Scott, and he was portraying Shawn Michaels. Sadly, the only heartbreak kid reference he had to his name was his actual age range following the feeling was his actual age range, following the feeling he felt after looking in a mirror. William drove Scott's head into the unforgiving steel, as I called it and had heard it called countless times on TV. A second teacher, Mrs. Cohen, saw the blow and responded immediately. All of you in that dome, get out right now, Mrs. Cohen screamed at the top of her lungs. She began scribbling each of our names onto a notepad she apparently kept on her for such occasions. She then read them back to us like a delinquent roll call. William, Jack, Scott, Tyler, Dustin, Ben, Cody, Ashley. You all need to report to Mr. Kraft's office pronto. Our clique migrated into the school and made the long, dreadful walk of shame towards Mr. Kraft's office. I stared at the marble floor each step of the way. We walked through the doorway in a single file line. 
Ashley took a seat in one of the few chairs her, his secretary's office made available. I sat in the other. The office smelled like burnt coffee and baby powder. The phone on his secretary's desk rang. Hello, she answered. Yes, they're right here, she continued. Yes, sir. You're welcome. Mr. Kraft's office door creaked as it opened. The light beaming from his room made his towering silhouette seem even larger than he truly was. He stood sideways and sipped from his styrofoam cup. He pulled the cup away from his mouth and finished the liquid his mustache retained. He motioned for us to follow him into his office. We conformed, but not without much hesitation. We stuck close together like the frightened group of pupils we were. Mr. Kraft drew the blinds so the sun would not shine intensely in our faces. His office reeked of sweat, borderline body odor even. Mrs. Cohen has informed me of what appeared to be a fight happening outside on the playground at recess, Mr. Kraft said, in the most intimidating tone I had heard since my dad's voice when he was forced to use my first, middle, and last name to grab my attention. It was actually a wrestling match, was my rebuttal, as, the classmates, as my classmates gasped for air. Beg your pardon, Mr. Kraft responded as his eyes shifted in my direction. You don't have to beg. I think we're on the same page, I said, now making a beeline for the door. As I reached the doorknob, there in front of my face hung a slab of wood in the shape of a paddle, just as I had heard. Only the mythical holes and wooden spikes were not a part of this extremely real contraption. Sit your ass down. He cusses like I had been told to. Now, Mr. Kraft's thunderous voice exclaimed, nearly knocking me off my feet. I did as I was told, instantaneously. Mr. Witt, I don't know what you were majoring. I didn't know you were majoring in humor at this school. I thought general education was the only prerequisite this establishment offered. I had been owned by our principal. In front of my closest friends, my face was beet red. An insane urge of urination took over my body, mainly my lower abdomen and torso, as I uncontrollably tapped my foot, doing my own personal rendition of the pee pee dance. My stomach turned and became tied in knots. My moment to shine had come and gone. I remained quiet for the remainder of the duration inside his office. You will all cut your snips to the final end below the U. I will notify your parents of the ridiculous mishap at recess, and you will all remain in the cafeteria for the next week while the other students are outside after lunch. Do I make myself clear? Mr. Stevenson asked. Crystal, Ashley mumbled, while the others gave a nod. Mr. Kraft dismissed us to our next class, and we all thought to be the first one out of his office. No spanking, freedom, sweet freedom. Suck it, I mumbled, unable to resist the urge any longer as we were all safe distance from Mr. Kraft's torture chamber. It was my good riddance to him and my last homage paid to wrestling that day. Later, Ashley said, grinning at me. I was caught off guard and stopped dead in my tracks. I watched her walk in front of me and stood in shock, my mouth hanging wide open. My mind raced my basketball shorts began to grow horizontally. I tried forming words and sentences, but my only form of communication was a heavy breathing, only comparable to a fat kid jumping rope in an attic. Now you say goodbye too, she followed, ever so condescendingly. I had spaced how bad I still needed to piss. Awkwardly, I darted off to the nearest bathroom and did my best to make the little guy aim towards, toward the, to towards the toilet. After a few misfires in the first shots I attempted, I exchanged my stall for a urinal and successfully drained my bladder. I felt nothing but relief, and a decent feeling overcoming me that called for a potential blowjob in my near future. 
So that's where I'm going to leave it. I have I have a shit ton of editing that I need to do to this. I got some of the names where I was in the process of changing them and rearranging them. And so I need shit to line up better. So uh, it was good to go back and look and see see some of the stuff that I had fucked up along the way. And, uh, well, this is, this is a unique form of a podcast, but hopefully if you made it all the way here, uh, you've enjoyed it. You look forward to potentially reading this novel if it ever gets completed. And, um, if you want, you can always like, share, uh, subscribe to the podcast. Um, you can find me on Facebook. You can find Wooten on Facebook too. Uh, Snapchat for drunken stories. Those are always a lot of fun, especially karaoke nights. Um, Twitter. My handle is at Justin underscore Parsley because the handle of at Justin Parsley will not relinquish the name to me. So it is my goal by the end of this year to get that name back. Twitter says something about six months of inactivity and they strip the account from you. Here it's been a year and he hasn't tweeted and sort of annoys the shit out of me. But I think that's basically wraps up this podcast, this week of the podcast. So thanks for uh, tuning in and until next time, fuck you, jerk offs. <laughs>